Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. I am excited for today's message. It's part three of our message, but there's something particular about this text that we're going to look into today that um, just brings the whole letter to the Philippians together. We've been in the series called Philippians, and we're studying one chapter a week. So we started with chapter one, navigated to chapter two, and today we're going to look at chapter three. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you dreamed of heaven? When was the last time that you thought about eternal life, that you thought about heaven? Now, if you're new to church and if you're new to a life with God, it might be that you might think, J.D., I never really thought about the afterlife or given, I haven't given really any good thought to it. And that's fair enough. But if you were to define what is heaven to you, how would you define heaven? For some, heaven is how they cope with death. Heaven is of great great utility because it's a device that they use to help children also cope with death. But heaven becomes this fantasy world beyond. It's not really something that you look forward to. It's just something that probably, maybe happens when you die. Who knows, right? Maybe, maybe we go to heaven. We don't know. Like I said, we're in this series titled Philippians, and I love this book of Philippians. We call it a book, but it's really a letter that Paul wrote from prison. Most likely, he wrote it from Rome, a Roman prison, Because he shares important values, principles, and practices on how to be a Christian. And here on chapter 3, Paul writes that he has one aim and one aim only. And to remind the readers and the followers of Jesus in this Greek church that they belong to a new kind of life. That they belong to a new kind of realm. This is what he wrote. This is how he phrased it. He said, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to the like, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And here Paul talks about two planes. A lower plane, our lower bodies, and a higher plane, heaven. Now I think it's interesting that he says that our citizenship is in heaven. Paul writes in the language that matters to the reader, that matters to his listeners, that matters to this church. It mattered in the first century what kind, of citi- what kind of a citizen you were. It mattered in the first century whether you were Greek or Roman or Hebrew. Citizenship was granted, was, was what granted you access. It was what granted you values. 
It would, it would allow you to be part of a certain culture or to be cast out of that culture. And Paul says, when Jesus becomes your Lord, he saves you from this earthly, temporal, and decaying reality, and he takes you to a higher, a greater mode of living. He takes you to a higher plane. And we gain access to this new realm, the heavenly realm. Now, if you have never considered these things, these things may sound a little bit far out. What are we talking about here, J.D.? Are we talking about actual heaven, the throne of God, angels flying around? The new Jerusalem, streets of gold, as they say, as it's written in Revelations. Or are we talking about an idea, a higher realm, a mental plane, a hope? And that's the distinction that I hope to make today, that I want to make today. So you can have, you can have the idea of heaven, a higher mental plane, and a hope without actually having heaven. It can be a mystical thing, as mystical as you'd like. It can be as whimsical as you can imagine. But the more mystical you make it, the more surreal you make it. The more whimsical you make it, the more distant you make it. That's not the heaven I'm talking about. I'm talking, the, I'm talking about the heaven that Christ talked about. A kingdom available to us. A kingdom that is available to every person who believes. Immortality that is available to us. Perfect love that is available to us. Yes, you need a higher plane. Yes, it will arrange your ideas. You will arrange your ideals. But it's not just a hope. It's our goal. It's our objective. Followers of Christ are invited to walk with Christ. Followers of Christ are invited to die with Christ. We are invited to resurrect with Christ. And we are invited to ascend with Christ. So you may, we may get scared a little bit at the beginning of it. Because Jesus calls us to walk with him. And he says, you ought to carry your cross each day, and you have to die to self. But it's not for nothing. Because he wants us to share in his resurrection, and he wants us to ascend with him. And if you've been paying attention, the letter to the Philippians is that journey. In chapter 1, Paul talks about walking with Christ. Chapter 2, he talks about suffering with Christ. And here, he's talking about rising and ascending with, with Christ. See, often we say that when Jesus walked on earth, he came down. And it's not wrong to say that. We say the heaven came down. We say that the word became flesh because that's what John wrote. But the work of Christ was to create a way for us to, to heaven. It's to create a way to Heaven. See, he made a way for imperfect humans and mere mortals to be elevated to perfection and immortality. And these are the exist existential questions that we ask, aren't they? 
These are the questions that we always ask. I have never met anyone who likes death. I've never met anybody who has a good relationship with it. It's always hard. It's always difficult. The separation is always painful. We don't like it. We hate it. Why? We have a problem with imperfection as well. We have a problem with the idea of things not being perfect. We desire perfection. We don't like imperfection. Yet, we know that nobody's perfect. How is that possible? If no one is perfect, why do we want perfection? Why do we expect and work toward perfection? You have to know something to say something is not that something. Know what I'm saying? You have to know purple to look at something and say, that's not purple. You have to, you have, to have tasted salt to say, that's missing salt. Or it's too salty. You have to know something to know that something is not that something. You have to know somehow what per- perfection would look like. And here's what I believe, because Scripture tells us that, that we have this imprint of perfection in us. Scripture says that God put His law in our hearts. We have this imprint of perfection in us. We have a mark for goodness. We have this transcendent desire, all of us do, to live forever. We don't want to die We want to live forever. Forever young. I want to live, be forever young. Remember that song? I was little. Do you really want to live forever? What what was it? Alphaville? Forever, forever young. You know how I know that song? It was a cigarette commercial when I was growing up. (laughs) Yes. It was a guy... I remember the commercial. It was a guy snowboarding down a cliff. And then uh, the song would come up, Forever young, I want to be forever young. And then the cigarette pack. <laughs> they were lying to me, but the song stuck. <laughs> we want to be young. We want to live forever. See, if there's any desire that that people struggle with, that they don't like life, they no longer want to live, maybe facing depression. I don't know if you've ever faced that, but I've had people in my family, friends that have had real issues of just not no desire for life. It's not life that they have a problem with. It's imperfection. It's the imperfections that they face. It's, It's because... There's no, they, they have no sense of goodness. There's goodness lacking in life. And so life loses its meaning. Life becomes meaningless. And they come to a point of not valuing it anymore. We desire perfection. We desire life forever. So whether you're disillusioned by it or you're still hoping to attain it, absolute goodness perfection has never really been present on earth until Jesus. 
And we haven't seen it since Jesus. And it's to this point that Paul writes about. That's what chapter 3 is about. Here's a man that has, he had been searching his whole life. He's been pursuing perfection his whole life. He was zealous. He wanted to be good. He wanted to make the world a better place. And the only way he knew how was by following the law of Moses to the T. To making sure that the law of Moses was upheld and followed. And he was devoted to God in that manner. This is what he says about it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. We're going to start halfway on the, on, on the fourth verse. He says, if anyone else thinks he has any reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he's not being proud when he says that. He's saying, I was circumcised on the eighth day, that's what the law required, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, that was a good thing for them, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. You may have been British. In order that I may gain Christ. Rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ. In other words, he's saying, don't tell me about being a good person. Don't tell me about being conscientious. Don't tell me about being your best, being the best you you can be. Because I was that. I was the best sample of excellence you could find. I was born in the right family. I have the right name. I have the right education, the right nationality. I come from the right tribe. I have the discipline and the track record. I was a doctor in the law and an example to my peers. I fulfilled everything that was expected of me according to the laws. I was blameless. It's a big thing to claim. To say that as to righteousness, he was blameless. But when I came to know Christ, all of that turned out to be worthless. Wow. What is it about Christ that caused him to look at all of his accomplishments and say, this doesn't even compare? So many, so many times what we want is to get Christ to help us in our accomplishments. We really want to use the power of God to do whatever we want to do in our lives. We want, we want God to kind of help us get to the place that we want to get. So God, if you give me an assist, that'd be amazing. But I'm making the shot. I'm going to score. I want my name on the board. And Paul is saying, when I had a revelation of Christ, the gain didn't even matter anymore. I found something completely new. Something amazing. I was working all that I was working for. And I thought that would take me higher. I thought that would promote me. It became nothing. 
Once I had the revelation of who Christ is, and he continues. We'll pick up halfway on verse 8. In order that I may gain Christ, that's what he was doing then, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now this sounds weird if you've never read the Bible, and this is the first passage you read. Because basically Paul is saying, I, 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 I want to rise again from the dead just like Jesus did. And, and that's what I'm working for. I want to get there. He spells it out right here. All of that, all of my striving, all of my concern, all of the things that I had, all of my anxieties, they've gone out the window. I want to be found in Christ. I want His kind of life. I don't want my own righteousness. I want His. I'm done trying to be the man. I'm, trying, I, I'm done trying to cleanse myself, redeem myself, having that weight. That's an impossible task. Here's my goal, which is much more profitable. I want the power of the resurrection in my life. I want the power of Christ in my life. I want to share in His suffering so that I can share in His death, so that I can share in His resurrection as well. That's what I want. Forget striving for the law. Forget living in my own strength. Here's the Son of God. He conquered the grave. I want His life. I want his life. Now, the important thing about this is that it fits all of us. It fits my life and it fits your life because it answers our questions, especially our existential questions. You might have questions for this week, things that you're facing. You might have questions for next month, things that you need to decide. And God can help you with that. And we pray for you and we encourage you and God will give you hope. But there's those questions that are questions of life. What am I here for? What is my purpose? Right? What about eternal life? Why, why did God make me and form me and put me in the family that he put me? And those are the things that this kind of relationship with God brings to light. How is this possible? How can we work it out? How can we have the same revelation that Paul had that we would understand that a life with Christ would unleash this desire to become like Him and to know that existing in His presence is the best way to live, is the best way to be a friend, is the best way to be a daughter, is the best way to be a, a father, is the best way to be a mother. Just to be like Him and with Him is the best way to love others. Paul continues, verse two, twelve. He says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. I haven't, I haven't arrived it yet. 
I'm not at that point yet. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made, it, made me his own. He has embraced me. He has done the work to bring me close to him. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal to you that also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Hold true to what we have attained. So I was, I was thinking about this passage, and I was thinking about the whole chapter of Philippians. And I was like, how can, we, how can, I, how can I paint a picture to everyone here and to those watching, and if you're listening on the podcast later this week, you're going to have to use your creativity and your mentality because I have a couple of visual elements for you today. So I was trying to think about this process that God took his people to reveal heaven. How did we get to the point where Christ Jesus was, it was, it was, it was the right time for him to come and to... And, and it was the right time for him to bring the heavenly reality to us. Have you ever thought about that? Like, why did Jesus come 2,000 years ago? Not now or not 2,000 years before. Like, why did he have to come year zero, right? Why not didn't he come before Plato and Aristotle or, or after the Roman Empire? Like, why, what, was, what was it about that timeline? I think about these things. I don't know if you think about those things. Because timing is important. And then I thought about the development of how God started pursuing people. See, you have to understand, I'm going to take you through a panoramic view of the scriptures now. You have to understand the progress of mankind in our relationship with, with God. There was paradise. Everyone was with God. Then sin came and mankind was torn apart from God. And from that point on, God started pursuing a relationship with people. And in Genesis, it says that things got so bad on earth, evil was so spread wide that God sent a flood. But there was one family that was saved, family of Noah. You remember the story. And then from Noah, a new generation of people devoted to God grew. Then there came the Tower of Babel. And then came Abraham. I want you to remember, Abraham didn't have a law. He didn't have the Ten Commandments. He didn't have anything. He was just an Aramean person who was a descendant of Noah. And he was in, the Ur, was in Ur of the Chaldeans because his dad, was, his dad Terah, had a, a word from God. And he was supposed to go to Canaan. But his dad stopped halfway in Ur and set camp there and stopped right there. So God calls Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a picture right now. I want you to leave your mom, leave your dad, leave your family, and go to a land that I will show you. And so off he goes. And that's all he had. 
And then God said, look to the stars. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the heaven. And here was Abraham. He didn't even have a child. But that's all Abraham had. A promise from God and a direction from God. He didn't have the Bible. He didn't have the scriptures. He didn't have a, a spiritual leader, a church to go to. He had his prayer life. And he had a word from God. And I feel like sometimes we can take the journey of the scriptures and that can be our life as well. We are all born like Abraham in a certain way. With this, this sense that our life is supposed to have a direction. And so you try to grasp this idea of, man, I, I, feel, like, I feel like there's a picture of what my life is supposed to be. So you feel like, you feel like God has given you some kind of horizon, right? I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to give you here a, a beautiful, um, let's say, a landscape, right? So you feel like God has given you a horizon. I don't know what you dream of, but my wife and I, we have places that we want to go in life. We had a whole trip, a trip planned uh, for our 40th birthday because we turned 40, kind of together, and... We decided to make a baby instead. <laughs> the more the Lord decides. So God kind of gives you a picture. There's a horizon. There's some waves over here, maybe some clouds, right? But it's not super clear. You just, you kind of try to put it together. You don't have much clarity. And that's what happened to Abraham. Okay, God, I, I guess... You're going to send me to a land that, I'll show, that you'll show me, and, and there's some, some nice uh, uh, path over here, and I guess I'm just going to, a little, a little path for me to go to, and I can't talk and draw at the same time, so, <laughs> you know, and there's some, some, some things over here. Can anybody tell me what this is? Is it? What is this? You kind of know, right? Maybe there's a sun right here. I don't know. I'm just, just adding things to it now. But you, you have a picture, but it's not quite clear. You know what your life is supposed to be like, but there's, there's, there's a disconnection. It's, it's black and white. It's, but you're like, I... I I feel like I'm supposed to go there. I feel like my life is supposed to look like that. And, and that was the promise of God. And then, and then things begin to progress. And it's what happened to Abraham. He had a son. His son had another son. And that son had 12 sons and some daughters as well, which was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And then one of them was Joseph, who was was a slave in Egypt, and then he became actually a, um, he became the second in command, the governor of the whole, the whole country. And then there was a famine, and his whole family came to Egypt, and now the Israelites are multiplying in Egypt. And for 400 years, they become a nation that goes from 70 to 600,000. In 400 years, they multiply. And then God sends Moses and because now they are a nation, God says, Moses, 
You guys need to be set apart. I'm going to use this nation as an example. The picture that everybody has in their mind of what their life with God is supposed to be like, I'm going to make that picture in you. You guys are going to be the model of what life with God looks like on earth so that other nations in the earth can look at you and be blessed. And so God sent the law and he gave Moses the law and the picture got a little better. It got a little clearer. The blanks, the things that were dark and they couldn't kind of see became clear. It got a little better. Right? Oh, yes. That's what life is supposed to be. I see it. I don't know if you guys like the beach. We love the beach. If you don't like the beach, just picture this is a mountain or whatever you love, okay? But just for the sake of the illustration, when God sent down his law, he was setting a standard. He was saying, this is it. This is how I want you to live like. This is, this is my design for you. So if you wouldn't mind the picture that you have in your heart, I want to take you to this kind of life. And this is what the law was. And this is what Paul worked for kind of shaped his life to model his life after a picture that he was given in the law. And he strived. But he wasn't perfect. Nobody was. In fact, your scripture says that nobody could fulfill the law. And then Jesus came. Jesus came. And he fulfilled the law. And he made a way for us to heaven. But here's the beauty of it. And here's what I want you to take home today, the importance of it, is that the things, the seeds that God has put in your heart, the things that nobody knows, and you're like, I don't even know if this is, if this is supposed to happen. I don't know, I don't know if, if my life is meant to be. Why do you have that desire? Why is the seed there? Could it be that it's part of God's plan for your life? That he's already given you a picture and that he, in his word, you see, it takes shape. See, this is what Jesus did. When Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. And here's, through Jesus, what we are able to experience. Jesus said, you don't need a picture. You just need me. The picture is important. The picture agrees with, with me. But you need a relationship with me. Because if you follow me, if you die to self, if you stop trying to fill in the blanks in your own way, I'm not only going to show you a picture of what your life is supposed to be like. I'm going to take you there. I'm going to take you there. You're going to be able to walk on the sand, to smell the ocean, to feel the wind, to swim in the waters, even though that ocean looks a little bit more raging. I imagine a peaceful Ocean. 
He can take you there. And that's the transformation that occurs in the heart of somebody who lives for Christ. It's not just hearsay. It's not just you striving to attain that life. Christ takes you from the reality that you were brought in, the reality that you were born in, the mentality that you were born in, and He begins to transform you into a higher mode of, of who you were meant to be, into the self that He has called you to be in Him. And things will begin to re be revealed to you. And your life will begin to have a different kind of meaning. And this is what Paul is talking about. Listen, I haven't attained it, but I have one goal. I want to be like Christ. Because all that I've worked for is to shape myself after a picture that was given to me. Christ takes me to the life that I'm supposed to live. He transports me to the life that I meant to live. He allows me to let go of my hangups, to be delivered from sin, to be renewed in my soul and in my mind. And I believe that that's the life that God wants us to lead as we continue to pursue the life of Christ in us today. Let me encourage you with this message today that Christ wants to take you as you, as you embrace life with Him, as you embrace um, His calling, He will begin to unfold His plan for you. And it's going to be beautiful. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.